Today's the day. School was canceled. The weather is really nice and the kids are all wandering around outside. You know how preteens are. They're all glued to their phones, taking pictures and making videos, looking for likes. I'm glad I didn't grow up with social media. Well, at least they're outside, right? Get a little fresh air, be in nature. It's good for them. Today's the day. Apparently they've been gone for over 12 hours now. They won't answer the phone. They won't return texts. Nothing is on social media, just silence. It's gotten dark and cold. What if they're hurt? They could freeze. I can't imagine how scared they must be. How scared their family must be. This whole thing is just awful. Get your flashlight. We have to go help look. Today's the day. They found them near the creek together. You know how best friends are at that age. They probably refused to leave each other's side. They were both dead in the grass. Cops think they had been there for a while. Imagine searching so close to where they were last night, but not seeing them in the dark. Jesus, people could have stepped right over them. We don't know. Today's the day. Little girls. Who the fuck would go after two little girls? What did he do to them? Who is he? Where is he? You know one of them recorded him on their phone? How brilliant is that? You think they knew something bad was going to happen? I hope not. I hope they didn't have a lot of time to be scared. Nothing is worse than being scared. Today's the day. Everyone in the United States has heard that voice. Somebody has to recognize that voice. There's a video. Look at the video. No way someone doesn't know him. You're out there. Do the right thing. Today's the day. Every day you have to wake up and know for certain that today is the day he's going down. Even if it isn't, believing gets you through until it's time to re-up again in the morning. He's still out there. He's probably still hunting, maybe in your neighborhood this time. He could be on a trail again, or in a playground, on a basketball court, anywhere. Do you have kids? Where are they right now? Are they safe? Are you sure? Today's the day. Don't sit idly by. If you know something, find him. Find him or let the police find him before he finds you. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. this one i hate that (sighs) i know this This is sad it's sad and it's really tough but um it was very highly requested Mm -hmm. so we listen (laughs) yeah and i don't know anything about this case actually i'm i do remember vaguely hearing about it but i i tend to not go down the rabbit holes as much no and this is a very large rabbit hole oh my it was more than i even thought it would be Hey, Leslie. Hey, Holly. Hey, Fiends. Well, we have a, like I said, a super duper heavily requested case today. 
A lot of you asked, if you if you don't realize already, um, about the Delphi murders, especially in light of the recent large donation to the Reward Fund for anyone who has information on Libby and Abby's killer. Uh, there have been several cold cases in the news recently that have grabbed all of our attention, and don't worry, you guys, we're going to be sure to get to all of them sooner or later, so that all of our fans can move forward as completely informed as possible. Also, like... We have to send out a big congratulations into the universe to Chris Lambert and uh, your own Backyard Podcast for providing information that led to the arrest of Paul and Ruben Flores for the murder of Kristen Smart. That's so cool. It's amazing. Uh, the true crime community can do big things when we try. His uh, his podcast is amazing. And if you guys, we will cover Kristen Smart, but I'm still going to tell you to go listen to his. He did wonderful, unbelievable work, and it's awesome that something actually came of it. Cool. And speaking of trying, we're trying real hard to make our mark in this field, but it's pretty darn full of talented people. But the good news is that if you're listening to this, you can help us do that. <gasps> Tell us how. Hooray. Just head on over to Apple Podcasts. Maybe you're already there. I and am right now. You are? Yes. Well, then you should leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. Just don't say it's you because you're a host. Check. <laughs> <laughs> it only takes a moment, but it makes a huge difference. And best of all, you can hold your beautiful glowing review over the heads of your friends who haven't left one yet. Ooh. Yeah. You're helping. You're real fiends. And we see you. We see you. And if you really want some bragging rights and more We Would Be Dead every month, you can join our Patreon, where for just a few dollars a month, you can get an extra monthly mini-sode, access to our monthly patrons-only podcast 30-minute horror movies, discounts in our merch store, and on-air toast dedicated just to you, the full knowledge that you are in a very exclusive Cool Kid Club. Oh, my. And more. And finally, if all of that is a little overwhelming for you, you can simply share anything from our social media feeds to your feed, post about us anywhere, tell a friend, tell all your friends, tell your mail carrier, anyone really. Then your friends can become fiends and we can all hang out together. Maybe your mail carrier is super cool. You don't know. You don't. Maybe you do know and then we extra want them to be our fiend. Ooh. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think that's all the business that I have for today. Leslie, do you have anything to add? We still have new merch and we have new hats. Yes. And people have been buying them. So oh, that's yay. exciting. Send us pictures of you wearing your hat when you yes. get it. Everything just went out. Uh, well, no, they, they went out a week ago. <laughs> Put on your hat. This time. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone should have them. Awesome. All Next right, then. Time. On with the show. Before we get into it with this case, for those of you who don't know, I'm going to warn you. This case is incredibly, frustratingly unsolved. And the internet is positively filled to the brim with unsubstantiated rumors and wild theories that come from way out in left field. Please enjoy my sports metaphor. They are few and proud. So <laughs> if after you listen to our coverage, you decide that you want to dig further into this case, and I know a lot of you are going to, I ask that you do so with caution. Uh, there are a lot of, like, Reddit feeds and other uh, YouTube videos with people picking apart little things that are completely unsubstantiated. So you want to make sure in this one you really check for sources. Also, this is a case about kids, so it's going to be tough. With that being said, let's jump right into the night before the event occurs. I'm going to do this one with a timeline of everything that we know, uh, and I'll just kind of list developments as they happen. Sometimes, in this case, developments are minute by minute. And as tedious as that might seem, all of these events are important and will come back into play if they haven't already. Every second the girls were missing was combed over by detectives and police time and time again. There have been a lot of cases where we have been 
wholly frustrated with the police and their slow-ass reaction times, or their hesitance in taking a missing person seriously, but this is not one of them. Law enforcement does do some things that confuse people a little bit later on in the case. This is mostly because we are not privy to a lot of information, but they really are on their game throughout this whole process. They're like one step ahead. They're always thinking. They responded immediately. So that's like really restorative in faith when it comes to the police. Yeah, absolutely. So it was Sunday, February 12, 2017, in the small town of Delphi, Indiana, and it was unseasonably warm. There was, like, warm weather on the horizon for the next day. Delphi is so small and sleepy and safe of a town that even its Wikipedia page is short. It is. There's not even—I can't even be like, this person is from there, or history happened there. I think there was only 3,000 people that lived there. Yeah, I have that. It's it's a a middle-class town, about 3,000 residents, and it was founded in 1828. It says on the sign, home of the Wabash and Erie Canals. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what we got. Uh, And because Indiana is a pretty cold place in the wintertime, and apparently also sometimes the spring and fall time, (laughs) (laughs) local schools have snow days built into their yearly schedule, which New Jersey people might be familiar with. There's an allowance for the possibility of snow days. And when these allotted days are not used, then the kids just kind of get a day off for no good reason, which is pretty exciting when you're in eighth grade or any grade. A day off is great. That's great any pre-pandemic grade, I should say. Now, kids get a day off for no reason today, and they're going to be terrified. I know. (laughs) Oh, my God. School's canceled. Why? (laughs) (laughs) The fun is gone from that. (laughs) We're never going back. (laughs) I think now they're just like, we get a half day. That's, like, real exciting. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe. Anyway. Class in my PJs. Yeah, exactly. I wore my pajamas for a fucking year. Give me a reason to wear, like, a ball gown. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. No one expected days off for our kids. Otherwise, the PTSD and toilet paper heart hoarding will start. Yes. <laughs> but February 13th would have been such a random gift of a day for the Delphi Community Middle School in 2017 because the opposite of snow was happening. And so the kids were pretty excited. But we're still in February 12th. We haven't gotten to the 13th yet. Best friends, Liberty German and Abigail Williams, who went by Libby and Abby, respectively, were having a sleepover the night before. They knew they could stay up late and sleep in the next day before enjoying their found free time. So that night, they chose to spend the night at Libby's house, and her older sister, Kelsey, joined them for, like, girl time and fun. Libby's parents were divorced, and so she was in the custody of her grandparents, and she lived with them. Um, and her father was there a lot. I don't. It's not very clear whether he lived with them or whether he just was there all the time. Um, but she was very close with her grandparents, and they kind of acted as full-time parental figures for her. This is not an indictment of her mother or father. It's just facts and observations. The more people in the world who love a kid and are invested in them, in them the better, as far as I'm concerned. A lot of people, though, wonder about this situation, though, because Libby's grandparents are the most outspoken family members in this case, and they often talk about her day-to-day life and the experience of living with her, so it confuses people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure why this is a sticking point for so many, but I'm just going to explain it right off the bat. She lived with her grandparents. They had custody of her. Dad was still in the picture. Mom lived in a different town, but was still very much in the picture. Mom has another husband and two other kids. Okay. There we go. Mm Mm-hmm. So the girls did exactly what most young girls do at a sleepover. They ate pizza, they made crafts, they had a movie night and made silly videos and TikToks before whispering late into the night and sleeping far into the next morning. Totally normal. Mm -hmm. This sounds like heaven, if you ask me. (laughs) 
<laughs> I always thought that when I got older, I would have like so much more fun going out to glamorous like clubs and going dancing and going to bars and stuff. But like a <laughs> plot twist, I hate clubs and I love sleepovers. Yes. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> the next day after Abby and Libby got up, uh, Libby's dad made them pancakes for breakfast, and they hung around the house for a little while. They helped their gra- um, Libby's grandmother with a little office work. She kind of bribed them with money. She's like, if you help me do some filing, I'll give you guys money, and I'll take you shopping later. And they were Ooh. like, yes, please. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Grandma for the win. I know. So they do that for a little while, and then it gets a little older. They finish, and they and they say that they want to go out to Monon High Bridge Trail, which is a hiking trail in the area. It's like a common place that kids gather kids like to walk around, just walk around. Yes. You remember that? Yep. That's what they do. (laughs) It was a common meeting place for local teenagers, and the girls wanted to enjoy the unseasonably warm day and take some pictures. They were into, like, taking social media pics because this is, like, moody nature Mm -hmm. where your preteen life is at its apex. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) There's a picture of you sitting, gazing into the woods, and you're, like, 13 or 14. That's that's everything right there. Yeah. And you all know it. You're so deep. I know. Oh, man. What is she thinking about? She looks sad. Yeah. Why is she so sad? I don't know. I should find out. Mm. That's that's all of our thought process. Y'all are lying to yourself if you're saying it's not. (laughs) I mean, even in February in Indiana when everything is brown and dormant, this part of Delphi is still undeniably beautiful. Mm -hmm. Scary, but beautiful. Yes. Monon High Bridge Trail is located over Deer Creek and is included in the 10 miles of Delphi Historic Trails. It is, and they say 10, there's a lot of different, like, amounts of trails mm-hmm. written. I looked on the trails website. I looked on Delphi's website. Mm-hmm. I went into everything. I went to, like, the tourism websites for the area. And it's located in a wooded area, first of all. I wouldn't call the woods exactly thick or vast, right. as civilization is never really that far away. But it does have a feeling of desolation in there. Mm-hmm. And it's not, like, always heavily populated on those trails. The bridge itself, though, is something special. It's very terrifying. <laughs> so, Leslie, why don't you tell us about Monon High Bridge, considering that was, like, the destination they were headed for. Sure. So, Monon High Bridge was built in 1891. It crosses Deer Creek about 63 feet up from the water. Oh, it's so tall. (laughs) It is Indiana's second longest and third highest railroad bridge. And Indiana has a lot of bridges, Mm -hmm. as I found out. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It carried trains high above Deer Creek until it was abandoned by the CSX Transportation in 1987. It then became a popular attraction for many who lived in the area. Mm -hmm. There is a Delphi historic trail system that passes by, but the bridge has been excluded from the trail. So that's what you just said. Yeah. That's the um, the trail. Yeah, some sites <laughs> say there are 10 miles. Some sites say there are 18 miles of trails that mm-hmm. link together into other towns in Indiana. Some say that it's really just like a little loop of two to four miles. I think right. it's like Batstow wherein you can pick your path. That's what I was gathering when yeah. I looked it up too. Um, and I kept seeing the 10 mile, but then them mentioning that yeah. mm-hmm. there's – you can connect it. It was also not well maintained. So from the sound of many of like the locals that were Mm -hmm. there, they said that it was kind of like a safe risk to walk across where 
it's it's very risky, definitely. The, There's no railing. It's just like a platform. It's just like railroad tracks basically over water. It's terrifying. Yeah, and there's <laughs> there's spaces between the planks, so you have to look down when you're taking your step, yeah. which then makes you have to look down to see how far you are above, above water. water. too. Yeah, and like, like you said, there's no railings to hold on to. I would be crawling. Yeah. I mean, when I do look at, when I see a person on it, I'm like, okay, it's a little wider. It's wide. But mm-hmm. I would definitely end up having to crawl across like yeah. if I was on there. I Same. don't know that I could be standing. It looks very <laughs> disorienting. It does. Because yeah. there's nothing to hold on to. I think that would like really mess with my equilibrium out there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, and it's really popular. A lot of kids go there now, or they used to. Um, that's where wedding photos would get taken, mm-hmm. prom photos. It was just, it was a spot out there that was, aside from the trail, mm-hmm. that was just really interesting and cool. It's very and, scenic. Yeah. It looks like it belongs in a horror movie, though. It does. And there was nothing before what we get into today. There was nothing that was scary about it. There's no ghost stories. There's no... Surprising. Like, yeah. I mean, maybe there's some, like, little local things that have happened, but I couldn't find anything like that. Um, so it's just this weird abandoned spot that I think I don't know like we would we would have absolutely visited it that sounds like kid heaven 100% that's where kids go Mm -hmm. somewhere naturally sort of dilapidated where they feel like they're kind of like on their own and they can be following their own rules yeah it makes it adds up so much to me that kids were drawn to it right so um, around the time of the murders the Indian landmarks had bought back the bridge and wanted to start like restoration Mm -hmm. on it so probably like they were days within signing when the bodies were found and so afterwards they just kind of shut it down they put up no trespassing signs things like that and uh, but now I think they're in the works of restoring. Yeah, it's it. like a major restoration it's to huge, like yeah. over a hundred thousand dollars is being yeah. put into it. Mm-hmm. I hope some of it is for railings. Yeah, put in some railings. Yeah, yeah they want to make it part of. So the whole point is to make it part of the trail. Yeah, if you like filled in the planks, you put up railings and stuff. It would be very. It wouldn't be mm-hmm. disconcerting at all. It right. would just be a long bridge. But as it stands, it's like. It's pretty scary. Yeah. <laughs> but don't worry. There'll be plenty of pictures in our photos oh, week yeah, this week. for sure. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. So back to February 13th, 2017. The girls had asked Libby's grandmother, whose name is Becky Patty. Patty is her last name, not a first name hyphen it. Okay. It's a fun, jaunty name, though. Yeah. Um, so they asked her if they could go out to the trail for a while. And Becky said, yes, they could, but they would have to find a ride as she was unable to take them. Libby's older sister, Kelsey, had her license and agreed to drop the girls off, but could not pick them up. The girls then arranged to have Libby's dad pick them up afterwards. So they, like, really wanted to go there. They're really figuring it out. He said that he would be there sometime between 3 and 3.30, but he couldn't give them a specific time because it was basically after he was done work, and I think that was, like, a little bit nebulous for him. He'd, like, finish a task, and then he he could leave. I don't remember what he did. It's irrelevant. It never comes back. Okay. And he said that when he got close, he would just text them and they could figure out which, like, entrance to the trail was closest and meet up there. Again, this is something that seems perfectly sensible to me. So the girls happily got ready for their afternoon excursion. And by 1.30 p.m., Kelsey was ushering them into the car and taking them to their destination, which was really close. Cell phone records from uh, Kelsey 
indicate that at 1.38 p.m., she called her boyfriend. And according to her account of the events, she remembers that she called him while she was dropping the girls off. So that is the estimated time of their arrival at the trail. Okay. Um, now, the girls were dropped off at an entrance to the trail that was on County Road 300 across from Mears Farm. And this is a place where there's like a little entrance to the trails, and then the farm's parking is not like official parking for the trail, but people just kind of use it. So it's not like the big entrance. It's like a little side entrance that they ducked in. So a lot of people wouldn't, I mean, like, a lot of people like knowing that because they feel that, like, someone would have had to see them go in and it wouldn't have been at a place where a lot of other people would enter. It kind of comes in in the middle of one of the trails, I think. Okay. Kelsey remembered watching the girls walk away onto the trail for a few minutes before driving off. She said she drove away at approximately 1.40. Then the girls walked along the trail for a little while, making their way to Monon High Bridge. At 2.05 p.m., Libby uploads a picture to her Snapchat story of just Monon High Bridge. It's just like us. A moody angle of just the bridge. (laughs) And then two minutes later, she posts a snap of Abby on the bridge. A moody angle of Abby just like looking down and walking. She's not posing for this picture. She's just candid. Right. Again, they were like, oh, man, we're killing it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And these shots will be in our photo suite this week, so don't worry. You'll be able to see them. They're typical social media pictures. And the kind of thing you would put out into the world, obviously. Monon High Bridge is eerie and scenic and a perfect backdrop. This is the last direct communication that anyone would receive from the girls. At 3.11, Libby's dad, whose name is Derek, by the way, so now we're going to refer to him as Derek, was approaching the trails to pick up the girls. And so he called Libby to tell them that he was close by and direct them where to meet. But his call went unanswered. Then at 3.14 p.m., Derek parked his car Uh, And he parks, I believe, at the main entrance, which is called the Freedom Bridge entrance, and tried to call Libby again, but there was still no answer. Then he started texting her as well. No communication came back from the text either. And it's important to distinguish that Libby's phone was ringing, so it was definitely on at this point Mm -hmm. and going through. It just wasn't being answered. Derek was concerned because this behavior was not like his daughter. It was really uncommon for her to not answer her phone. She knew that he was coming to get them, and she had her phone on her. Usually it was, like, connected to her hand. So it was very strange that he couldn't get through to her. But it had only been a few minutes, so maybe she didn't hear it. And so Derek decided to get out of the car and walk the trails himself to look for them. Right. By 3.15, Derek, so like a minute in, Derek reaches a spot where two of the trails intersect, and here he encounters a man wearing a flannel shirt. Derek asks him if he has seen two girls on the trail that he's walking at the time, so are there two girls on this trail? And the guy says, no, not on this trail, but I did see two girls up on Monon High Bridge. So Derek, who was on a trail called the 501 at this point, then switches to the intersecting trail, which is called the 505, that goes up along the creek into the bridge, which is what we can assume the girls had traveled. This man will forever, by the way, be referred to as Flannel Shirt Guy, or FSG, Hmm. in everything you read, because people love to talk about him. He was just a guy on the trail, and he becomes a key witness in the case he does. Like, um, okay, I was going to ask if he comes back, if he's just like, that was me, I'm Flannel Shirt Guy. Yeah, he definitely comes back, um, and the police interviewed him, and he does actually go on later to describe a suspect. Okay. But um, somehow, I don't know how, his name has been kept totally secret. Okay. And the internet loves this case. So the cops must have, like, really done a good job keeping his anonymity. Mm -hmm. So now, the extended trails are over 18 miles long. But the area the girls would have been in, from what I have read, is about, like, a two-mile radius. Mm -hmm. I think the loop that they were on. 
And they traveled it frequently. This was not their first time there. They liked going there. So by about 3.30, Derek hadn't seen them anywhere and began to get worried. He called, his, he called Becky, the grandma, and told them that the girls were not responding to his calls or texts and were seemingly nowhere in sight. So now, and that's his mother, Becky, by the way. Becky is also, when, when she gets the phone call, she's with Libby's aunt, Tara. So both of them then begin to call Libby and text her nonstop but neither one of them is getting any responses. Mm -hmm. By 4 o'clock, Derek returns to his car, and Becky, her husband Mike, and Tara decide to join him on the trails to search for the girls. The constant stream of phone calls continue and all go unanswered. Becky also calls in Libby's sister Kelsey and her uncle Cody to join in the search. So now there's a nice little family unit, and they're all out on the trails. The family goes out and searches for over an hour, and in this time they're also screaming the girls' names and calling them nonstop, trying to also listen for a possible ringing cell phone. But who leaves their cell phone on ring? Yeah. Like nobody. Becky then calls AT&T, Libby's cell phone provider, to see if they can ping Libby's phone. But for legal reasons, they refuse, which is weird to me because I feel like a 14-year-old girl would be on a family plan, and the person who pays for that probably would have access to it. Yeah. But I guess for whatever reason, like the police weren't requesting a ping or something, the police might have – there's like very specific rules okay. with tracking cell phones. Right. So they couldn't do it. Okay. Maybe they can't Maybe just, they needed to be – maybe that only works if you're on a plan where you have access like that with a kid and maybe they didn't have yeah, that kind of thing set up. I mean, you need apps to like GPS your kid. I don't think you can like legally ask for someone to triangulate any cell yeah. phone. Uh, and, and maybe that's good – I mean, it could, could get nefarious if people can just call AT&T and track anybody they want. Even but if like you related. said, it would make sense if they were on the same plan and it's their child. Oh, right. But I, there could – I don't know. Yeah. There could be cases where that went awry. I have no idea. We'll get into the legality of cell phone pinging a little more later too. So Becky tries to see if Libby has a Find My Phone app. Yeah. Which she didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Always have that. So, okay, listen up, fiends. Your crime mom is about to lecture you on safety real quick. If you are out in the woods or anywhere else mildly sketchy alone, or in this case, just with like one other little friend, someone should always be able to track you. Drop a pin, share your location, be visible to someone who will look for you if you're gone for too long. Hell, send your location to me. I'll find you if I need to. Yeah. I'll call the damn cops every time. Also, there is an app called Noonlight that will save your life. I'm not kidding. I heard about this, and this endorsement is completely unsolicited. We are not sponsored. We are not getting any money for this, though if they want to sponsor us. Hey, hey, hey. We're not going to say no because we need money, and I believe in their product. Anyway, Noonlight is an app that tracks your location. And if you feel threatened at all, you can pull up the app, and a little, like, circular button appears on the screen. And what you do is you hold your finger down on that button, and if you release it— it sends police and emergency services directly to your location. Oh. So if you're walking, say, through a parking lot that you find sketchy, when you leave the building, you can have the app pulled up, put your thumb on the app, and then not release it until you get to your car. Because, like, once you release it, you're given that, like, five-second birth to, to say, no, 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 I'm just done. Okay. But if you keep your finger off it, they just come. That's great. It's amazing. Everybody should download this app right now. I listened to a podcast called This Is Actually Happening. Also not a solicited endorsement, but it's really good. And a woman on that podcast told the story of how this app actually saved her life during her own rape and attempted murder. Wow. So she was attacked. She had the app. She had her finger on the button. And she, like, didn't die and bleed out because emergency services could get to her. And they, like, ended up being able to catch her, her attacker. Wow. Yeah. So... It's called Noonlight. I'll put a link in the show notes. You guys, I have it on my phone. 
you should definitely get it on your phone. Do it. Keep yourself safe. We love you. Anyway, that's my tirade for right now. It was useful, though. It was, yes. (laughs) Back to the trails. By 5.20 p.m., Libby's family then decides that it's time to call the damn cops. Now, I should mention that Becky, Grandma Becky, has also been calling Abby's mom, Anna, since the girls went missing as well, but she was unable to get in touch with her as she was at work. I don't want anyone to think that Abby's family weren't looking for her or were purposefully kept in the dark. That is not a thing. Everyone involved in this search does quite literally everything right. Yeah. At this point, um, Libby's family theorizes that one or both of the girls must have fallen and gotten hurt. Maybe off that terrifying bridge. Mm. Perhaps that or on the creek embankment, because it is like there are hills and there's the embankment to the creek there. And in the process, they thought maybe even Libby's phone was damaged, so she wasn't getting messages. Or maybe the screen was super cracked, so she couldn't answer. All these things are definitely possible. And the girls would not have left one another if one of them was hurt and the other wasn't. Mm -hmm. So the family just assumes that they are simply huddled together somewhere waiting for someone to rescue them, them. Mm -hmm. which is so sad. I know. The police request, so like they call the police and on the phone they say that Mike and Becky, Liberty's grandparents, should come to the police station to fill out a missing persons report. And in the meanwhile, they will send officers directly to the trails to help with the search. Okay. On it right away. So at that, Becky says, I have to find Abby's mother. So I'm going to drive to her place of business so I can tell her what's going on. We need a missing persons report for both girls and a family member would need to file that for her. But as soon as she, like, got in the car and started to drive there, Abby's mother was finally able to return her phone call. So Becky fills her in on the whole terrifying situation, and she agrees that the three of them should meet at the police station to file missing persons reports on both girls. Two hours after they went went missing. Not 24. Remember that. You do not and should not have to wait to call the damn cops when someone is missing. Every minute can be precious. Yeah. So shortly after the call, more officers arrive on the scene at the trails— And the family has put the word out also on social media that the girls have gone missing, and anyone who could help them search should come to the trails and do so. Then by 6 p.m., the police launch a formal search, and the community shows up in force. I mean, there were tons of people, like everybody that heard about it. This community was very tight, and they really really come to bat for these kids. Another sports metaphor. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) The fire department also comes out, and not only to help search, so all the firefighters in the area were out in the trails, but they also set up like a command station where all volunteers can meet, get information, and then go out. So they're organized. Dozens of local deputies and police officers show up, and a steady stream of civilian volunteers are there as well. They search the trails and surrounding area for hours, but remember, it's February in Indiana, and by now it is dark. Yeah. Everyone is operating by flashlight. Whoa. Now, from what I've heard, February in Indiana, it's it's dark at like five-ish. It's, that seems normal. It's dark yeah. here that time. Mm-hmm. And by, by six o'clock, it's certainly going to be pretty dark out yeah. there. So uh, Mike and Becky are still furiously trying to find a way to locate Libby's phone. So they've gone to the police station, made the report, and come back. But what they're focusing on is like, we need, she has her phone. We yeah. need to find it. And also, like, her whole family is nonstop calling her. Of course. So let me also just drop this into your consciousness because I'm, like, apparently a safety guru today. Um, If you're doing that, if you're trying to find someone and they have their phone, you're going to drain their battery. Yeah, that's true. If you ring it nonstop all the time, their phone is going to die because it's in use so much. So, like, if you're concerned Mm -hmm. and they're not answering your calls, you should be strategic about calling them. And, and texting them and leaving messages because notifications are going to light up their phone. All of that is going gonna, is gonna to wear on their battery. Anyway, I know that the police, since I have looked it up 
need a warrant or, quote, exigent circumstances to have a cell phone provider ping a phone to triangulate the location of a user. So it has to be law enforcement. Exigent circumstances basically means in an instant wherein the police believe that the user of the phone is in imminent physical danger. And we do have that here. Two young girls have gone missing in the woods near a body of water. So the police ask Mike to go home and get all of the information on Libby's phone and to get her iPad so that they can begin the process with AT&T of locating the phone. Okay. But sadly, by 10.30 p.m., because it's the night's wearing on, we still haven't found anything, it is discovered that Libby's phone is either dead or has been turned off. So as I mentioned, there's a chance that all of the activity has drained her phone. Oh. And they have no way of locating it. Okay, I hear you all screaming. I know that you can find a dead iPhone. Yes. But two things. One, Libby didn't have an iPhone. And two, the most you can do with a dead phone is to find the last tower it pinged off of before it went dead. Now, this will give you a general area of where the cell phone probably is, but you can't pinpoint it. All this would have told them was that before the phone died, it was in the radius closest to the cell phone tower by where they were. And considering they're like in a town out in nature, it's probably obviously that tower. They're probably very obviously in a radius of it. At least that's what they thought. And, And it should be pointed out that at this point, absolutely no one, including law enforcement, thought that this was foul play. They all thought that the girls were either hurt or lost mm-hmm. and on foot. Right. So their assumption is that they could not possibly have gotten very far. Tons of people are out looking for them still though and they even bring in drones to okay. fly over and like look for stuff. By midnight though, the woods have gone pitch black and the safety of all the volunteers have now come into play. So the police have to call off the official search and say they will resume the official search at dawn and anyone who wishes to help them can come back then. But... Firefighters and, and civilians, Sicilians, ha <laughs> ha, no, maybe some of them were, I don't <laughs> the know. Italians. Hey. <laughs> civilians, they continue to unofficially search throughout the entire night. I couldn't have gone home. No. If my daughter was missing, I'd be in those woods screaming her name until the sun came up. Mm-hmm. You couldn't stop me. The cops like legally couldn't stay out there, but they were like, I'm not going to tell you, you can't. Right. We're not, they're not going to come out and drag them off the trail, basically. I would have gotten a camper. Been like, oh, yeah, man. I would have been like, what do we have to do? What do I have yeah. to do? Do I need torches? Do I need to set yeah. fires? How do I find people? Someone start making bacon. Maybe they'll be drunk to the bacon. Maybe they'll, they'll smell it and be yeah. hungry. Any, yeah. Anything, 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 anything. So a little late after midnight that night, 24-hour news channels begin to pick up on the story. And we're showing the girls photographs and asking for help finding them. This continued to gain steam when the morning news programming started to hit the air. So by 4.30 a.m., their faces were everywhere and more people began showing up en masse at the trail, flashlights in hand, to search for the girls. Um, I think in one interview, it was Libby's grandfather, Mike, who said that it was just, the area was just like a thousand flashlights. It was just like a sea of little lights because there were so many people out there looking for them. Mm. By 10.30 a.m., obviously the next day, on the 14th, Command centers for volunteer searchers had been set up at the local municipal building and the fire station. Kelsey, Liberty's sister, described the search in an interview like this, quote, The fire department split us all up into groups, and we went to different places. Some of them were in town, Delphi. Some of them were, like, way out in the country near the high bridge, but nowhere where my sister would have went voluntarily. My group that went to high bridge— and another group that was also at High Bridge on the other side of the bridge. So they were very organized, and they had teams of people spread out everywhere. Then at 12.15 p.m., one of the volunteer searchers called out that they had found something. 
He was a half mile off Monon High Bridge by an incline, which was 50 feet away from the bank of Deer Creek, on private property owned by a man named Ron Logan. At first, the man who found them was looking, he was looking for the girls, and he caught sight of a couple deer. And so he took his cell phone out because he wanted to take pictures of the deer. And he took pictures of the deer, and then he, like, tracked his phone down. And when he did so, he saw them in the grass. (sighs) Yeah. And they obviously were dead. He immediately told his wife. The searchers had originally been following a pair of footprints, which actually did, in the end, lead to where the girls were found. Okay. Now, it is painful to think about how close they were the night before. They were right there. They're, like, right off the trail. Half a mile is nothing. And they had all those people fanned out looking. There are those who theorize that the girls were killed somewhere else and then brought to that location. But law enforcement is pretty confident that they were killed where they were found. Mm -hmm. It just happened to be too dark the night before to see them on the ground. I mean, they were like in the grass. We'll post pictures of uh, the location where the girls were found. It's like leafy and there's underbrush and it's like right by the creek embankment it's and they're still looking they're looking for two girls that are alive living girls like sitting up yeah. and like gonna wave back at them yeah that's they're what they're not looking, looking for. for like like any kind of hunch like if they were if they had that in their brain like they would be running to rocks mm-hmm. and being like is that a person you're 100 yeah. percent correct so they would be doing that yeah oh and they did have i believe they did have divers out in the creek too okay but i mean like yeah They're laying flat in the grass. It would not have been that easy to see. Police have chosen to keep the girls' cause of death and the state of the bodies uh, when they found them from the public for now. But on more than one occasion, they have referred to this as a heinous crime, and seasoned officers are seen in press conferences openly choking up and weeping. I don't know what they saw. I don't know what happened to those girls before their death, but I can only speculate that what they came across was pretty awful. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, the majority of the persons of interest or suspects in this case have been rapists. So many people assume that the girls have been sexually assaulted, which, I mean, I don't think there's anybody in the world that hears about this case and doesn't assume that they were taken for that reason. Though there's no way for us to know, and I don't even know if we need to know. The last thing I will talk about in reference to how the girls may have died is that it has been said that both girls wore scarves in their open casket wake. And a lot of people suspect that this was done to cover up significant damage to their necks. Okay. Um, <sighs> I know. And in we don't have any evidence. We don't have any any findings. But in no place do they talk about, like, shell casings or gunpowder. So most people also assume it was with somebody's hands or, like, a sharp object right. or something. Right. Well, I mean, the the flannel guy would have probably heard a gunshot. Yeah, you would have heard them. I mean— that there were other people somewhere And no one there. says they heard shots. Right. So we assume that's not— mm-hmm. If there was a gun, it was menacing, because mm-hmm. there are also a lot of people who speculate that this person showed them a gun, and that's why he was able to apprehend two girls. Mm-hmm. Since they, they really—cops really think it's one man, and— he kept both girls because he was like, I have a weapon. Right. And they— And to even keep them quiet because I'm sure that they right. could scream. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty isolated. But there's that guy. Like you said, that That's, guy would yeah. have heard something. Also, officers replied that they found the girls on the bank of the creek. They said they are not in the water. They do not confirm at this point in time that the girls are Abby and Libby. But the search for Abby and Libby is significantly scaled back. So again, if they aren't confirming the girl's identity and they want to take them into autopsy, they couldn't have been in great shape. Oh, that's true. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. But 
The bodies were sent to autopsy where they would be confirmed the next day, February 15th, as Liberty Rose German and Abigail Williams. Police stated that the case was a double homicide, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. But before we get into this case's staggering evidence, because it gets it takes a hard turn into super creepville soon, and give you a list of theories and suspects, I feel like we should get to know the girls a little bit better. Yeah. First. So the girls were born between 2002 and 2003. Libby was born in 2002. Abby was born in 2003. So, Leslie, let's, like, shake off the awful for a oh few my minutes. God. <laughs> before we launch into the specifics. And why don't let's, – let's get into this era. Let's have, like, a little break okay. in the gloom. Cool. So I was a – let's see. So what, what year is this now? 2002, 2003. Okay. So I'm, like, a sophomore, junior era. Mm-hmm. So this is, like, prime time for TV for me. Love it. American Idol is going strong. Mm-hmm. Kelly Clarkson, I think, just won, want to say. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds right. I was in college, yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what I am going to do, because TV was, like, all of me right now, <laughs> <laughs> I – I'm going to do a little quiz with you, Holly. Oh, a little game. Our fiends love a quiz. Yes. And I'm going to sing some of the theme songs oh, from my favorite shows. Leslie and loves see. To sing. Yeah. <laughs> theme songs. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> let me know if you know them. I I know you're probably not gonna get like two of them, but I figured okay. my listeners might be really excited. Guys, listen, please do not judge me for not knowing these things. My <laughs> recall is is hyper sharp on some things and horrible mm-hmm. on others, and Leslie can confirm that for you. <laughs> yes. But I'll start with one that you'll probably know. Okay. We've been on the run, driving in the sun, looking out for number one. California, here we come. Oh. Right back where we started from. That's the OC? Yes. <laughs> I didn't even watch that show, but I got it. I talk about it all the time. <laughs> you do? Okay, <laughs> so I'm getting into this time period now. It was like my freshman and sophomore year, um, in my junior year in college. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm there. I don't want to be anything other than what I've been trying to be lately. <laughs> Okay, I, I know that, that song, but I cannot place where it is from. Uh, Who that used one it? is from the One Tree Hill. Oh yeah, I know nothing about no. that show. Not even Chad a Michael little Murray. bit. He was like a thing. People liked him. Yeah, he was like a heartthrob. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that show had really good music. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm rewatching it now. Oh nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. I'll start this off with Jill is going to be really excited. Oh, so I know Jill likes it. <laughs> Jill is my best friend. Hi, Jill. <laughs> Wanting you the way I do. I only want to be with you. And I would go to the ends of the earth. Because, darling, to me that's what you're worth. Where you lead, I will follow. Nope. <laughs> I don't know. Gilmore Girls. I was going to say, is it Gilmore Girls? It is. Jill loves the Gilmore Girls. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This one you might know. Oh, Nikki's going to be mad. I don't know that, too. She also loves Gilmore Girls. <laughs> but if you've never seen it, you wouldn't. Never one time. Yeah. I, never, I don't know what happened to me. So open up your morning light and say a little prayer for I. You know that if we are to stay alive, then see the love in every eye. I don't, don't want to wait. Yes. <laughs> that was way off key. Uh, that's Dawson's Creek. Because you're singing with me. You're trying to harmonize with me. I don't want to wait. There you go. For our lives to be over. Okay. <laughs> I knew that one. Yes. So this was like the last, one of the last seasons or two. This is like. 
Oh, yeah. So this is after I dropped off the planet with Dawson's Creek. I did yeah. watch it for a while. Mm-hmm. When I got into college, I didn't have cable. Yeah. So I didn't watch anything. It's hard. Yeah. I watched a DVD of Mulan 150 times. Same. <laughs> you had cable. <laughs> yeah, but I still watched it all the time. Okay. And then that was the movie I took to college and watched constantly. That's the movie I watched in yeah. college. We have a lot of weird things in common today. <laughs> It was a movie I could put on at night because it had music. So it was like listening to music, but with like the TV going. We had that. that, We had Mulan. We had like two seasons of Friends. Yeah. And then one other movie that I can't remember. Wait, I'm thinking of Moulin Rouge. I'm sorry. Oh, no. I mean Mulan. Yeah. Like Disney. Disney Mulan. Mulan. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) But I was obsessed with that. I mean, that one's good. They're both good. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay. Last one. Whatever it takes. I know I can make it through. If I hold out, I know I can make it through. Be the best, the best that I can be. Oh, man. Whatever it takes, I know I can make it. I know I can make it oh, through. nice. Like <laughs> I don't know what that's from, but That's it's- from Degrassi. Again. <laughs> that's for our Canadian listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, seven people in Canada. I know. <laughs> I love that show so much. <laughs> it it like produced a billion celebrities. It like, did. Everybody like Drake, that was, was on it. This was the season where like Drake was on. See? Yeah, this is when so he was relevant. in a wheelchair. Oh no, poor Drake. Yeah, what happened mm-hmm. to him? Oh gosh, uh, maybe so he was much. in a car accident or something. He lost his legs in the car accident. Not oh, like lost no, them, Drake. the use of his legs, but he yeah. was a basketball player mm-hmm. and he couldn't play anymore. He was in a wheelchair, so that's how I always knew him. And I was just like, he can walk. <laughs> That caught me by surprise. Yeah. I just, it's like, wow, and he's quite the dancer. Oh, look at cool. him go. <laughs> he's so famous now. So famous. Oh, my. Yeah. He started on Degrassi. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. Well done, Drake. I did. Way to walk again. <laughs> you did know. I did. So that kind of gets you guys into the pop culture mindset of who who would kind of be coming mm-hmm. up then. You know what other show was on? Tell me about it. The Simple Life. Oh, was that the Paris Hilton one where she yes. like milked cows? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you know Ugh. that they had five seasons of that? What? When I was researching, it said five seasons. That's under it. too many. Se- how do people? How I do people only like remember one? Boy, I sure do want more of this. <laughs> like, I don't know. You know, Grey's Anatomy is still on the air. Yes. Yes. I've never seen a full episode. Mm-mm. Maybe I'll start that next. <laughs> There's 150 seasons, so yeah. you'll never run out. <laughs> okay. Well, that was, a, that was a nice break. Thank you for that. <laughs> Let's get back to crying. We okay. sang a song. It was delightful. You sang many songs. It proved that I didn't have cable at that point in my life. This was my life. I was I was in high school. Truly, this I was, didn't. We only had a DVD player hooked up to a television in my yeah. college apartment. We had no, I couldn't be watching shows. That's what we had, too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So back to the girls. First, Liberty and I share a birthday. Oh. Isn't that nice? I mean, I've come close to birthday sharing with, like, a lot of horrible people before in what I found out about in my research, which is to be expected when you look up hundreds of birthdays a year. But I've never gotten one on the nose before, and I'm really excited about that. And I'm excited that it was, like, a super cool little girl. Yeah. And not, like, a serial killer. Yes. So, Liberty Rose Lynn German was born on December 27th, 2002, to parents Carrie and Derek. Libby was an athlete. She played volleyball, softball, soccer, and was a swimmer. She was on an accelerated academic track as well in school. Uh, Libby was full of kindness, and she loved to bake. 
Her grandmother remembers that she would always throw together a batch of cookies when she had a spare moment and just, like, leave them on the counter for the family to have some. Nice. Isn't that cute? Uh, She was very thoughtful. She would leave little Post-it notes everywhere, like, where her grandparents would accidentally find them, like, under the sun visor in the car. And they just said, like, I love you so much. Thank you for being there for me. You're so important to me. Oh. Yep. So they were just, like, little kindnesses that she would just, like, make sure she told them. Yeah. I know. Her grandfather, Mike, describes uh, one event where she asked him for money for a school function. And he gave her like a $10 bill and Libby asked him, if I have change, can I give the change to another kid who didn't have spending money? I know. She was so nice. (sighs) She was always looking out for others. She played the alto saxophone in the band. In fact, both girls did. And I've seen Libby's TikToks. They're all, like, lip syncs to popular music. Aw. Yeah. She's cute and young and heartbreakingly familiar. It's hard to really, like, internalize how little these girls were until you see them in action. They were children. I know the word teens is used a lot in this case, but I don't think it does their youth justice. The girls were in eighth grade. They are not semi-adults. They're still on the edge of wanting to be on a playground. Right. They still have full-on baby faces. Yes, they do. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And they just—they're called teens so much that I think in your head you always picture these like high school kids. They were not; they were little girls. Right. So on to Abby. Abigail Williams was born on June twenty third, two thousand and three, to her mother Anna Williams. A father is never mentioned. Which okay, fine. Anna though was very close with her daughter and very present in her life. She's also a photographer, so there's lots of like really beautiful pictures of Abby around, and and of them together. Is Abby the one? The one of the photos I saw, she had a hat. hat. Yeah, she was at a Kentucky Derby party. Oh. oh. Cute. Or, or like okay. it was a shower or something, and the theme was the Kentucky Derby, and so her mom put that cute hat okay. on her. It was very, like, picture. Blossom-esque. Yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful picture. Yeah. Abby was very invested in the school volleyball team. As I mentioned, she also played the alto sax and planned on joining the softball team that spring. Abby loved swimming, riding on an ATV, camping, and basically anything outdoorsy. She also loved animals, especially the rescue cat she convinced her mother to adopt for her named Bongo. So this is like, this cat is so cute. He's like this little like gnarly looking cat Mm -hmm. that had to be kept outside because her mother was like wildly allergic to it. But she was like made such a case for the cat and loved it so much that her mom was like, okay, fine. Right. You can have it. (laughs) Abby was also an avid reader and loved drawing and creating little crafty works of art, works of art that are still all over her mother's house. In one interview, Anna is standing next to a birdhouse that Abby had made. Her grandparents, who were also very close to her, keep her little Converse sneakers right in the spot where she left them. Oh, God. You know, it's super heartbreaking. Girls were also both fans of true crime. Oh. Yeah, they liked, like, crime shows on TV and, like, they read about stuff and um, they wanted to pursue careers in forensics or law enforcement. Okay. So while, like, none of this is good, Mm -hmm. I think that part of them would be like, I'm just there's a huge investigation. That's amazing that, like, so much forensic power is going into this. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Just a thought. Abby herself was not on any form of social media, though, and didn't have a phone. So we don't really have access to a whole lot of, like, her and her own words, which I think is fine. But friends of the girls remember both of them as just being, like, a really bright light. They're fun, cute little girls. They are, yeah. Now, growing up in the age of Snapchat and TikTok certainly is complicated. There are a lot, and I mean a lot, of drawbacks to putting young and vulnerable girls out there in a way the internet has access to them and is commenting on them and their bodies and everything they say. And most things that we say at 14 are at least a little regrettable. Right. (laughs) But in this case, um, it would be Snapchat and a smartphone video that would bring this case the natural attention that remains on it to this day. 
As early as February 15th, 2017, the Indiana State Police began circulating a still image of an individual reportedly seen on the Monon High Bridge Trail near where the two friends were killed. The grainy photograph appears to capture a Caucasian male, hands in his pockets, walking on the bridge, head down towards the girls. He is wearing, he's like, looks like he's middle-aged. He has a navy jacket zipped up and it looks like the tail of a brown shirt is coming out underneath it. He has on jeans and a camel-colored, like, newsy-style hat. Police state that this is a person of interest, and if anyone has any information about who he is, they should come forward as the police would like to speak with him, which is how that is always approached initially. Right. Because they think that, like, if someone hears, oh, granddad is a person of interest, they'll say, oh, hey, the police want to talk to you. Right. And it's more likely that, like, you'll get information that way. But then— on February 22nd, the police announced that the photo they had been circulating had been a screen grab from a video taken off of Libby's phone. Oh. Yeah. Apparently, there is a pretty long and rambly video that was recovered, and it is revealed that the girls began videoing this as, like, a funny thing. They were talking on the bridge. Like, that's what kids do now. They, like, take a little video yes, of themselves. So, like, walking mm-hmm. the bridge, and they're probably talking about stuff. It's, like, what we're supposed to be doing for our podcast, like, just – being on there all the time talking yeah. and giggling and talking about I know, God knows what. I can't be Instagram live, girl. One day I'll get there, you <gasps> we'll guys. We'll get there, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so they were doing that, and they see this man behind them. And, and this is all, like, kind of speculative and also based on the little tidbits we've gotten from the police. Mm-hmm. And at first they think it's funny to, like, get this man in frame. They're like, this guy's following us. But then it becomes apparent that he's following them, and it's kind of sinister. Okay. And um, the police— just kind of say that they know a crime is going. They they just know it's bad, and that's why the girls are filming him. And then they release audio from this video of the man's voice. Ooh. And he's very clearly saying, and, and this is clipped audio. It is obviously edited out of something much longer, and it's garbled, but he's saying, down the hill. And so I'm going to play it for you. Don't wet yourself. It's terrible. Alright, so that's obviously a loop of three times a bit. And um, first they just release him saying, down the hill. Mm -hmm. You hear guys, we get that later. I'll get to it. But that's the audio clip that is out in the world everywhere right now. And if we recall, the girls' bodies were found at the bottom of a hill. Police also state that the man in the photograph they released is their main suspect. Anyone who knows that this man is at this time should come forward immediately. There's also a $41,000 reward tacked on for anyone with information that lead to his arrest. Okay. So now we're looking for someone they know did something to the girls. I cannot even, we, I can't even handle how chilling the fact that they have him talking to them is. Right. Because this is minutes before they died. And this is the man that killed them. Mm-hmm. And the police do make a big deal, and they should have, about the fact that Liberty had the presence of mind to record this guy. And from, again, from what I can gather, because the whole video has not been released, I think the incident, at least part of it, is on there. And Liberty might have pocketed the phone to just catch sound. So, yeah. Um, So we know who killed them. We just don't know who killed them. And things get spookier as we move forward. 
The man in the flannel shirt that spoke to Derek on the trail was able to confirm that he saw this man, the man in the hat and the navy jacket, on the bridge at the same time as the girls. So it's everything is confirmed by this guy in the flannel shirt. Um, and he gives police enough information along with the video to produce a sketch. Police say that the video on Libby's phone has been secured, but they have chosen not to release it so that it may be saved for use in a future trial. Okay. Again, makes sense. And this is where everyone gets really, really angry. And I get it. Why can't we see the video? It might help. We might be able to see the guy do more. What's with that? What are the girls saying about him? What did he do? What does down the hill mean? I'm going to reserve this judgment. I listened to everyone's uh, personal handsome hero, Detective Paul Holes, talk about this case on Murder Squad, another great podcast. I'm just endorsing everybody else's today. But he has a unique perspective being an actual police detective that has caught actual killers. And according to him, there are um, probably very good reasons why the police are holding this information. First, a lot of the video, like we said before, most likely just focuses on the girls. And it's exploitative to simply flash their last moments all over town. Second, at least some of this is most likely extremely upsetting. If we are to infer that Down the Hill was directed at them, then they have video, could be pocket video, but it's video nonetheless of the death march of two children. Nobody needs to see that. And their families don't need to have it all over the internet. And I'm pretty confident that in time it will be there anyway, as police are parsing out information as time passes. But I do understand the impulse to keep it from, like, a hungry public. Absolutely. Indiana State Police would have numerous subsequent press conferences alluding to the fact that they had more information about this man than they realized and that they truly needed only to find him. Most often, the public will hear from Indiana State Police Superintendent Doug Carter, who speaks with conviction and sometimes outright fury. When asked about this, Detective Holes lets us know that this is an insight into how the FBI has been working this case with the local police, because everyone's working together with this one. Mm -hmm. Hooray. It means that they will have created a profile on the killer, and now they're trying to flush him out by riling him up. So he's shouting to the press, like, we're just a second away. We're going to get you. And when we get you, like, it's going down. Right. This is done to, like, poke this guy. Mm -hmm. Maybe they do know a lot more, and maybe they don't. But it's very important that whoever committed this crime thinks that the cops are in hot pursuit. Panic can make people slip up. It can make them confess to friends or family members or cellmates. And sometimes it can even make them turn themselves in. I may not be able to explain all the actions of the Indiana State Police and Indiana branch of the FBI, but I do know that they're working smart. They have announced that there is a longer, fuller video of this man. Um, and if he heard this, and I can't believe that he hasn't at this point, he is doubtlessly sweating bullets. The Indiana State Police also commented that at the time, they believed the man they were looking for is a Delphi resident or perhaps grew up around Delphi. He would have been very familiar with the area and perhaps with the girls themselves. He may not have known them personally, but could have seen them around. To me, this looks an awful lot like a crime of opportunity, and Detective Holes says the same thing. But there are those who speculate that this man stalked the girls for some time before killing them. Mm. At this time, there was a main person of interest. So we're still in 2017, by the way. A man named Daniel J. Nations. And holy fuck, he looks like, it looks like the sketch is just a photocopy of his face. Oh, really? It's so similar. And he has a pretty gnarly police record, too. Daniel Nations is a registered sex offender. This is due to an indecent exposure incident. Um, he's from Indiana. And he was arrested in Woodland Park, Colorado in September of 2017 and charged with threatening strangers on a monument trail with a hatchet. 
The expired Indiana plates on the car he was driving at the time were noticed by the Colorado police, who subsequently discovered that he also had an outstanding warrant under his name in El Paso, an outstanding warrant under his name, I believe, in Indiana. An El Paso County Sheriff's spokesman told reporters that however many similarities there were between the cases, he was not at liberty to disclose them, since Indiana investigators did not want any more of the information to the Delphi case released. On January, so maybe it was a hatchet. We don't know. Hmm. That's, again, you have to parse to get, like, put together clues from these, like, speculative comments. And I don't know if we're right or not, but they say, like, well, there is similarities, and they could only be talking about the fact that they were both on trails. Right. But they didn't want to say anymore. On January 5th, 2018, Daniel Nations was sentenced to three years of probation for threatening members of the public in Colorado. However, he was not released since he had an active warrant out on him back in Indiana. On January 24th, Daniel Nations was transferred to Indiana officials' custody on an unrelated charge, um, which was failure to register as a sex offender. In early February 2018, authorities said that Nations was no longer considered to be an active person of interest in the Delphi murders. We don't know why he was no longer considered. We don't know what got him out of this. We just have to trust the police. So, guy looks so much like him, though. And again, this gives you a little insight into what they're looking for. This guy is a sex offender. He's violent. He creeped around behind people. That's probably similar to the event we're talking about. Yeah. Police had also looked into 77-year-old Ron Logan, whose property the girls' bodies had been found on. Now, while there's no evidence that he was involved in their killings at all, the cops did, while they were investigating him, discover an outstanding warrant for an old DUI and subsequently threw him in jail. So, help with an investigation, get thrown in jail. Yes. Great. I was kind of, I mean, I, he might have been, like, not a good dude. I have no idea. I don't know anything about him. But that little fact always makes you kind of go, like, oh, man, he helped out. And you were like, oh, by the way, go to jail. Right. <laughs> like, I'm sure, I'm sure it was for good reason. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> I know he's been spoken to since by the media, and he's, like, completely traumatized that they discovered these dead girls on his property. Mm-hmm. It's like every morning when I wake up, all I can think of is, like, that. that's what I see out my window. That's what happened. I live here. So, I don't know. They don't have any reason to suspect him. Mm -hmm. Then in 2018, the police turned their gaze to a man named Thomas Bruce, who formerly worked as a pastor and was charged with fatally shooting one woman and sexually assaulting two other women after having ordered them at gunpoint into the back room of a suburban St. Louis shop for religious supplies. The crime was committed in broad daylight on November 19th, 2018, and these crimes put Bruce in the spotlight of the press. Many people speculate that Abby and Libby were guided into the woods and apprehended at gunpoint. Again, we discussed that's why they would just go with someone. Mm -hmm. And so this would add up. That's what this guy's MO is getting somebody in broad daylight using a gun. So with Thomas Bruce in the news for this other crime, some people note that he's similar stature, 5 foot 7 inch to 5 foot 9 inches, to the then-current suspect description in the Delphi murders, saying that he also wears a flat cap and a navy blue jacket, not unlike the guy in the pictures. Okay. So, like, well, it kind of could be him, and the crime is similar. Indiana State Police did look into his possible connection in November. On December 4th, Bruce was charged with no fewer than 17 felony counts related to the St. Louis case and could receive the death penalty. And really, for two years— these were the only men seriously considered to match the sketch in the picture. And I guess this guy, it doesn't really say why Indiana stopped looking into him. I'm sure they had good reasons. I don't know that they ever had reasons to look to look into him at all, other than people said he looked kind of like it. But he's 
he's on like death row now. So okay, yeah. Then on April nineteenth, which is your birthday, it is my birthday. Our birthdays are both in this wow. case. Wow. In two thousand and nineteen, Indiana State Police announced a new direction in the case. On behalf of state police and the multi-agency task force, Superintendent Doug Carter released. Releases more material a few days after the in a press conference held on April 22nd. Now the new material includes a short video of this man. Oh, mm-hmm, in which the blue jean and jacketed suspect is seen walking along the rail bridge for a little over a second. We will put this up on our social media and make sure that you are able to see it. It's also very easy to find. Superintendent Carter states that because of the, you you spoke about how the bridge is like kind of dilapidated and the boards have gaps in between them. The suspect walks kind of unnaturally mm-hmm. due to the spacing between the stuff. But he also, his gait is kind of specific. The way he walks is kind of weird. Right. So they released it to see if anybody looked at that guy and they were like, wait a minute. It could be this guy I know who walks funny. Right. They also released an updated sketch of the suspect. Um, as well as his extended version of the audio recording, which is when they uh, include guys in it. Bef- the first recording was just down the hill. And now, as I played before, the recording says, guys, down the hill. Now, many people speculate that the use of his like familiar lingo, the word guys, and the tone in his voice suggests that this man was used to working with children. Like perhaps he was an athletic coach or a pastor or someone that was used to taking an authoritative tone with kids or a teacher. Again, that's just four words speculation right, right. on a tone of voice. It does sound like, it does sound familiar. Yeah. When you're just approaching people and you're like, guys? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I would say that to strangers. I might. I don't know. Now, it's further explained that the previously released sketch, which shows what looks like an older man with a goatee and cap, is now considered secondary. So by contrast, the new sketch, which is a clean-shaven individual— is is to be used as the primary sketch of this prime suspect. But police also remind people that this is the same person. They just say that they want people to realize that his age range is from 18 to 40, but caution that his youthful appearance could make him look younger than his true age. Because a lot of people were, a lot of the tips were on old men. They were basically getting like a ton of old men. So they revised the sketch. Detective Hole said they might have even like youthed it up, like made him look a little younger. Mm-hmm. So that they could be like, this is what you're looking for. Stop giving us old men. It wasn't an old man. Oh, we know okay. that. Remember, they have more video than they're showing us. Mm-hmm. So they could have gotten a better look at this guy easily. I mean, even just the quick photo I saw, you can tell it's it's like 30s. Yeah, or but I mean, the sketch of 20. him looks old. Oh, okay. And that's that, that, that was the I guess issue. that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. Investigators also announced that they believe this man is hiding in plain sight and encourage everyone to watch the video and listen to the audio clip and be kind of vigilant. If you see anybody, call the police. This information also turns up a few new suspects. First, there was a man named Paul Etter. On July 23rd, 2019, Paul Etter was wanted for the kidnapping and rape of a 26-year-old woman that happened on June 22nd in Tippecanoe County. Five days later, on July 27th, Paul Etter died by suicide during a police standoff. So they caught him, and he shot himself. Oh, In regards to his involvement with the Delphi murders, his case is not yet closed. So they're actually still investigating this guy. We don't know much, and he's dead, so can't really talk to him. Lastly, we have a man named Charles Eldridge, who was arrested on uh, January 8th, 2019, 
in Union City, Indiana, on charges of child molestation and child solicitation. Police in Randolph County alerted the FBI to a potential link between Charles Eldridge and the Delphi murders because he strongly, strongly resembled the suspect sketch, but there was no other reason. They're like, he looks like him. Hmm. Delphi and the Indiana State Police said there is no evidence linking Charles Eldridge to the crime in Delphi whatsoever. He's not a good dude. He did some terrible shit, but okay, not, it's not the same guy. And unfortunately, that's where we are now. As of 2020, Superintendent Carter said that they were, quote, one step away from catching the killer. And I really want to believe him. And there's no reason not to. The reason people fixate on this case is because there is so much evidence, and yet they cannot find this man. And the internet is also covered in conspiracies that I'm not giving our time to. But I will mention one, and that is a string of text messages that was um, linked to social media a little while ago. And they're from a man named David Erskine to a friend. The friend's name is Blacked Out. Who, and David Erskine claims that he is the volunteer that discovered Abby and Libby's body. And in this text, he describes how they were found. But the only thing that we have confirmed about these text messages is that he did send them. They are texts from him to another person. He says that he is the man who found the girls. But we can't fact check that part. We don't know that his texts are telling the truth. We just know that he sent them. He indicates that Libby was found nude and covered in leaves and that Abby was fully dressed. He also said there was, quote, no rape because he saw it on the coroner's report. Nobody gets to see the coroner's report. Oh, That's okay. not a thing. Okay. This one and this coroner's report in particular is notoriously tightly sealed. Nobody knows anything about these girls' autopsy. And if, it, you, you, if you could find it, somebody would have at this point. And further, they don't just hand it out to some guy at the crime scene. Right. He also claims that Abby was found face up with her arms crossed over her chest. But then he later goes on to say that it looked like she had survived through the night and tried to crawl away. So which one is it? He later says that Libby must have, quote, fought like hell, and that any DNA that was discovered on the crime scene was found under her fingernails. So, the police did say that there was DNA uncovered at the crime scene. They don't say whose DNA it was. They don't say what kind of DNA it was. They just say they found DNA, and they haven't been able to use it as of yet. If we are to assume it belonged to the killer, then yes, it most likely was recovered from underneath the girl's fingernails, or we don't want to think about this, it was semen. So this man also claims that the deaths were bloody and included a near decapitation. He just makes these claims. Now, if you ask me, this is a macabre ploy for attention. Yeah. He contradicts himself a bunch of times and had really no way of knowing a lot of the things he said. Mm -hmm. How do you know there was no rape? Did you squat down in the field and conduct a rape kit? Right. And you said one of the girls was discovered with no clothes on, and yet you can tell that she wasn't raped. How do you tell that? You can't. That's the thing. You absolutely can't. People also can talk out of their ass forever on the internet, and that doesn't make it true. Mm -hmm. Maybe he did find the girls, but the things he are saying just sound like a gross and elaborate exaggeration. Um, And the police have only gone after men with a sexual misconduct history. And so I would tend to believe that there was a sexual element to these crimes. Anyway, the internet went absolutely crazy over these texts, though. So I felt the obligation to mention them. Okay. And yeah, like I said, the DNA is a thing. And I would believe, because this crime is in 2017, that if they had good amounts of DNA, like skin from under fingernails or semen, 
they would be able to, like, familiarly match him to someone, possibly. Yes. That's how they caught the Golden State Killer. Like, I find it hard to believe that any substantial DNA was collected from mm-hmm. him. There still just has to be a match in the system, though, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. it could be somebody not in the system. Somebody who doesn't have any family that isn't in the system anywhere. It would have to be. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, that makes sense because they're mm-hmm. still yeah. getting close. Yeah, okay. which is like increasingly less and less accurate as time goes by because so many people are spitting into tubes and taking ancestry things. Yeah. I haven't for this reason. I haven't either. Not yeah. for this reason. I have I my fingerprints already on file yeah. for like certifications. <laughs> have my so. DNA. So do I. Have my DNA. It's fine. <laughs> But yeah, so if you see these texts, there's uh, videos on YouTube about them. There's so many pictures of them. People are really banking on them. I didn't read the whole description of what he says about the bodies because it's disrespectful and possibly untrue. You can read them. Please don't take them super seriously. So finally, this case has been brought back to national attention. It's, it's on everybody's lips right now because just a couple weeks ago, an anonymous donor added $100,000 to the award money for any information regarding Libby and Abby's murder, bringing the grand total up to $325,000. Police to date have received over 40,000 tips, and they and the people of Delphi are still very much committed to solving this case. They have weekly meetings in Delphi amongst community members to try and, like, see what they've gathered, and the police are still tirelessly working this. It is a very active investigation. Yeah, Police Superintendent Carter is is spoken to all the time, and you can see videos of him all over the place talking about how they have not even remotely given up on this. So that's that's kind of where the case is now. Construction is currently underway for the Abbey and Libby Memorial Park in Delphi as well. Okay. It's a sports complex and nature center for children dedicated to the memory of the girls. <laughs> I know. Oh, business and citizens me. far and businesses and citizens far and wide have made generous donations of both money and time to get this to happen. And this is a testament to what these girls meant to their community. Yeah. Well, um, like we said, there's only 3,000 people. Like It's a small town. They knew them. So we will include, I will include a link to this the website on the park so you guys can see um, the developments. This is a slow process, again, because it's like donation-based. And of it's course. huge construction. It's like three baseball fields and like. Mm-hmm. But we can donate to it? I think you can. Okay. Yeah. I, if you can, I will definitely make sure the links are up for that. So the police in Delphi, the members of their community, And Libby and Abby's family live by one motto, and that is, today's the day. Every day they wake up certain that this is the time for justice. Their hope and hard work will restore a little faith in the humanity that this story has taken from all of us. So if there's anything you can take away from this, it's that there are still good people in this world that want to help. Yes. And that is about all we have. Anybody with information is requested to contact the Delphi Homicide Tip Line at 844-459-5786. All information will be taken and followed up on by investigators. All callers may remain anonymous. Tips can also be submitted via online email to abbyandlibbytip at c-a-c-o-s-h-r-f dot com. You may also contact your local FBI office or the nearest American embassy or consulate. Thank you. Yeah. I will have all of that information in writing clickable places too. So if you or anyone you know knows or saw anything, call them. Any tips are good tips. Yeah. That was a hard one to get through. I know. Yeah. So, toast. Toast. Well, obviously to Abby and Libby. Yes. Who are gone but not forgotten. And I love how strong their legacy is. And that park, 
Huh. Yeah. I'm so sad. I know. <laughs> this one, I didn't do this one for a while because it's yeah. very, very sad. But the recent developments and the fact that people really do, I mean, this is something people really do want to know about. Yes. Led me to say, all right, well, we need to put our put our spin no, on it. I'm glad we know. I mean, it's still, the investigation's still very open. It's very active right yeah. now. So, yeah, I, I mean, I really feel like we're all going to find out. I think they're going to find this yeah, guy. Yeah, I think they'll find him. I think without a doubt, they are eventually going to find this guy. Mm-hmm. I hate that it's taking so long yes. for them. That's a nightmare. But the more people talk about it and the more ears hear it, mm-hmm. you know, you never know who could be the catalyst. You never know where they, who could see that video and go, oh, I know that guy. Right. So, you know, share it. Mm-hmm. Talk about it. We're doing what we can. And that's this, you know. Yeah. Um, I do wonder if because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. things took longer because everybody yeah. was kind of in hiding. Distinctly possible. You know? I mean, it's also, there's a flip side to that. Like, that guy was probably in the same place all the time. Where was he that nobody, unless he was, I guess, in a house by himself, maybe. Right. Yeah. I think a toilet paper or some shit. Mm-hmm. And then everyone has their masks on. Mm-hmm. and Yeah. So keep your eyes on the news. Any updates that come in about this, we will make sure that we um, announce as they happen. And if we were simply enjoying the fresh air in the wrong place at the wrong time, we would be dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Would Be Dead Pod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. Anybody with information is requested to contact the Delphi Homicide Tip Line at 844-459-5786. All information will be taken and followed up on by investigators. All callers may remain anonymous. Tips can also be submitted via online Email to Abby and Libby tip at C-A-C-O-S-H-R-F dot com. You may also contact your local FBI office or the nearest American embassy or consulate.